This is the EPLOG audio experience. Film is clearly a sophisticated art, possibly the most important art of the 20th century with a rather complex history of theory and practice, writes James Monaco in his book How to Read a Film. So far in our podcast, The Artists, we have had filmmakers, writers, critics, programmers from some of the top film festivals, musicians, thinkers, defining their combinatorial skills. We at Metaphysical Lab have been striving to expand the realm of our podcast, which in turn gives a wider uh, canvas to the understanding of our experiences. And also we have tied up with Epilog Media, the podcasting network. So you can find us on their website, epilogmedia slash the artist. And of course, you can continue to listen to us on the platforms that you choose from Apple Podcasts to Spotify to GeoSavan to Google Podcast. Everything is mentioned in the description. And of course, you can reach us uh, on the WhatsApp number and our email ID. I'm your host, Suchita, and I'm looking forward to a wonderful journey ahead with all of you. Yasujirozu was a Japanese auteur and one of the most influential filmmakers, mostly known for his classic talkies like The Tokyo Story 1953, An Autumn Afternoon 1962, and Late Spring 1949. His 1953 film The Tokyo Story was voted number one on a BFI list of the 10 best films of all time. And in 2012, Sight and Sound poll also The Tokyo Story was voted the third greatest film of all time by critics worldwide and the greatest film of all time by 358 directors and filmmakers worldwide. Wow. But the 34-35 films, uh, we don't exactly have the numbers that he made during the silent era of cinema from 1927 to 1936 is where the groundwork of Ozu cinema was actually done. And most of these films are lost except some that got found and preserved. And that is what we're going to be taking you through in this snacky 90th episode of the Artist Podcast with me, Sachita, Ozu the Master, and his silent films. Now again, all these silent films were of the feature-length duration. That is, they were more than 60, 65, 70 minutes. Only 7 to 10 minutes of the clip is there on YouTube, a few of them. And this is very unlike his contemporaries around that time who made short silent films. Now, again, we do not have the exact data on it, but this is what we gathered from all the internet research. And those few surviving films are preserved and exclusively available only on those channels like BFI or Criterion. His first silent film, Sword of Penitence, was made in the year 1927. The film is now lost. His other silent film, I Graduate, but in 1929, has some clips on the internet. His other silent film, again made in the year 1929, A Straightforward Boy, that got restored recently, had the Japanese star child actor Tomiya Oki, and I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that right. This boy would later go on to act in 300 films, including Ozu's 1932 film, I Was Born But. Now this film, The Straightforward Boy, is said to have heavily been influenced by American slapstick. 
in 2016 one of his again very early films the dragnet girl was found and restored and if we actually check the course of these films we would realize that ozu of course experimented with a lot of genres and styles before his talkies where he finally cemented his style with family dramas and relationships and everyday life and seemingly everyday characters the website lisanimaclub.com says and i quote this master filmmaker ozu was an audacious genre experimenter in his early years and with a straightforward boy and 1930s walk cheerfully even tried his hand at hollywood style gangster comedies now hollywood style gangster comedies can you even imagine also directing something like that if you are aware of the kind of work that he has done post in the talkies era now adapted from an O Henry story and influenced by Harold Lloyd and other giants of silent slapstick a straightforward boy is a sparkling example of Ozu's fascination with american culture as well as his ability to absorb diverse forms and techniques and make them understandably his own now you can only watch this film in criterion collection if it's available on your region or if you know how to do the vpn thing in your region his other film 1929 days of youth is again is only available on bfi and i quote from there that the earliest surviving film by one of the major masters of japanese cinema days of youth is an outstandingly creative intersection of various styles and genres that had emerged in hollywood europe and japan by the late 1920s in the 1932 he made another silent film i was born but which is again available only on bfi player and this is the way the description of the film goes there that the worlds of children and adults are played off against each other through visual rhythm and comic wit in this most celebrated of Ozu's silent films i was born but is the zenith of japan's petite bourgeois film genre offering a virtuosic ensemble of humorous performances stylistic elegance and subtle social irony because of the groundwork that he did in the silent film era Ozu's style is now condensed in these few observations he only used 50 mm lens because that's closest to the eye vision camera angle was mostly the tatami level shot tatami mats is what japanese used to sit on camera was mostly static with attention to composition and geometry and his edits never used fades dissolves he was very of them he mostly stuck to straight cuts now ozu's reasoning is explained here and this we got from the no film school side as i consciously did away with fade ins and replaced them with a cut henceforth i never used such editing techniques again in fact neither dissolve fade in nor fade out can be regarded as the grammar of film they are no more than the characteristics of the camera now i don't know i wonder what would eisenstein have to say to this also again frequently used ellipses which means omitting portion of film events allowing the observer/audience to use their minds and imagination to fill in the gap this is a very unlike the template screenwriting style where showing off an important event is customary to evoke a certain emotional reaction from the audience so our storytelling depends on what we choose to show and what we choose to omit but it also depends on the country that you live in and how much are you answerable to the person who's putting in the money 
as described in an article on Wikipedia, ellipsis was also used in literature, as in the modernist works of Ernst Hemingway, who pioneered the iceberg theory, also known as the theory of emission. Since he spoke of chiarostomy at length, I don't know why I was watching a chiarostomy film and then I watched an Ozu and I realized that there's some semblance between the two masters, like perhaps capturing the daily life, the little moments between people, the interrelationships between the characters, but also presented that from a distance. He was always away from the scene of action, but chiarostomy was much closer to the scene, but both were poetic with the everyday depiction of life. Ozu kept making silent films long after talkies had come till mid-30s, just like Chaplin. His reason to stick to the silent cinema is described here by the critic Roger Ebert. And I quote, The reason for that was the peculiarly Japanese institution of the benshi, a performer who stood next to the screen and interpreted the action for the audience, playing all of the roles and supplying all of the dialogue. Famous benshis found their names and lights under the movie titles and held such audience loyalty that the Japanese only reluctantly resigned themselves to hearing the actual actors speak. Now, as a result, Ozu films like Dragnet Girl, Mother Should Be Loved and In In Tokyo, all made years after Hollywood started to talk, provided a tantalizing glimpse of what movies might have looked like if they had survived longer in their silent form. Now, Richard Brody of The New Yorker has something else to add to this, and he writes that Chaplin didn't use sound dialogues until the last sequence of Modern Times, 1936, and his first all-talkie film was The Great Dictator, which is 1940. So also, too, waited until 1936, even though the Japanese film industry had turned to talkies at the beginning of the decade, Dragon Net Girl from 1933 which I discuss in this clip. There's a clip there, was one of his later silent films and his distinctive, highly infected manner suggests what Ozu both lost and gained with sound. Some of the dramatic sequences of this film with their poised, tenderly expressive, dramatic dialogue could fit recognizably into his later work. Other sequences featuring elaborate camera work that calls exaggerated attention to decorative objects, contrasts of light, reflection and sudden movement are hard to find in his sound films. Now the intense inflection of these images and the expressive work that they do to convey Ozu's desired tone are shifted in his sound films in two directions, to the voice and to the drama. On the one hand, Ozu simply sensed that sound had brought his actors to life and he filmed in a more recessive way in order to let them burst forth in high relief. And so as Ozu was moving to the talkies, he was ready with the style. And, and as the BFI side mentions, this was a singular and unwavering style. Ozu disregarded the established rules of cinema and created a visual language all his own. And I say it's all because of the groundwork that he had done from 1927 to 1936. He was ready to burst into the scene with his cemented tone and style. Ozu was offering his stories his way. He was not bothered whether the audience would like it or not like it. Ozu famously said this, that I just want to make a good plate of tofu. If people want something else, they should go to the restaurants and shops. And Ozu consistently only did things his way. 
for him less was more and his films were hardly seen outside Japan until after his death as written by Sir Roger Ebert and they quickly gained an audience it is a paradox that what is most particular is sometimes most universal so that by concentrating closely on the daily emotional details of Japanese middle class family life Ozu made films that have the power to move audiences everywhere Ozu's style was so powerful that influenced generations of directors from Wim Wenders to Claire Denis and Paul Schrader, Akikoris Maki, Joanna Hogg, Rasuke Hamaguchi, Pedro Costa. In fact, Wim Wenders went all the way to Japan and made a documentary on Ozu called Tokyo Ga, and I haven't got my hands on the film yet. It is very difficult to teach Ozu's style as they say at film school and I think that one of the main reasons for that is that the director in the journey of making the film has become that and you cannot teach that because then your style is a reflection of you the person and as for me his minimalism was his style and he became minimalist as he went more into his own self because then you know what to keep what to exclude you know your intentions and i think it comes with a very spiritual bent contemplative and minimalism was ozu in his cinema and despite his films being about family ozu never married He began his career during the era of silent films and his last film was made in color in the year 1960s so he actually lived through three dramatic changes in film history silent talkies and color he died very early on his 60th birthday and it's very strange that he's actually born on 12th December and he also passed away the same date 12th December and he shares the grave with his mother on the grave is written mu mu which is translated as nothingness i encourage you to go and watch all the silent films if you haven't seen them and of course watch them before you watch the talkies again <laughs>